0: Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. Hear now God's word. Then his father... ...in the house of his servant David as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. Amen. You may be seated. So, on? Is it working? I'll stay over here. So, uh, if I was to ask you to imagine Christmas at the North Pole, what comes to mind? Think of some of those things. Some of you would imagine a workshop. Some of you would imagine snowmen. Some of you would imagine, like me, Will Ferrell in an elf outfit. <laughs> in reality, the sun has not shone on the North Pole since early October. It's been in complete darkness each year from October until early March. It's not yet Christmas time. We're re- wearing... Red, some of us red, corduroy jackets. We're singing Christmas songs. We have beautiful flowers, poinsettias all around us. But it is not yet Christmas time. It is Advent time. And Advent is a time to reflect on the darkness that we see around us and the darkness that is within us. Have you ever wondered about the effects of darkness on a person? I read a study this week about a man, a comedian named Adam Bloom, who willingly volunteered to be a part of an experiment. He went down into a bunker for 48 hours that was completely void of any light for two full days. He had people monitoring him, watching him through night vision cameras. Uh, He had food, but no light for 48 hours. Initially, he started to sing to entertain himself. And then he started to replay conversations that he had had recently with people, speaking both parts just for some conversation. He said he laughed. He cried a lot, he went to sleep, and then woke up having no idea how much time had passed. And he started to lose his mind. He realized that he had no idea how much time had passed, and that he had no idea how much time was left, and he began hallucinating, started seeing some strange things started losing his mind. We're just talking about two days here. He almost didn't make it. They, they had a, you know, safe words. If he needed to get out, he could tell them, and they would come and, come and get him. He's the only one of the six people that did this in separate bunkers that made it the full two days. When he got out, he said he couldn't believe how beautiful everything was after having experienced darkness, complete darkness, for two full days. See, this is kind of an Advent story, because Advent is a time when we reflect on darkness, when we look around the world and we see suffering and despair, or we look into our own lives and see suffering and despair, and sometimes a lack of hope and peace. And Advent is a time when we take inventory of the dark. Now, Naomi uh, asked me a question this week, and she's been doing this lately, which I think is a testimony to the work some of you do with children here at this church. She's been asking me a lot of questions about God. Uh, And earlier this week, as we're driving in the car, she simply said, what is God? And my undergraduate degree of Bible and theology and my master's of divinity flew out the window... At this most basic question, what is God and how to explain him to a four-year-old? I stumbled through several different things, but eventually came to what I thought was maybe the most important in the moment was God is a creator. God made us. And I've told her that before, but then I said this, which I hadn't said before. I said, God simply had to speak And the world came into being just by his speaking. And then she said, Daddy, when is God going to speak again? That is the Advent question. When is God going to speak again? The place at which we jump into the biblical narrative this morning is a place when many people were wondering, when is God going to speak? We've had centuries without a prophet. We've had centuries without a prophetic word from God. When is he going to speak again? And the Gospel of Luke gives us a really cool story about the birth of a baby. And about a couple who had impossible circumstances to bear a child. And an angel comes and tells them that they're going to have a baby boy. This is not the Christ child we're talking about. An angel comes to the priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth to tell them about the birth that they will soon experience. And the Gospel writer gives us two really important pieces of information right at the beginning of the first chapter of Luke about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. First, it says that this priest who was of the orders of Abijah, that you can trace back into the Old Testament, and his wife Elizabeth, who's from the lineage of Aaron, very... uh, Important roles, we're told that they are righteous people. It's the gospel speaks about them similar to the way it does Job when it says he was blameless and upright before the Lord. Now they're not perfect, but Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people. The second thing we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they cannot bear children. In this day and age, those two pieces of information were irreconcilable. Because children were a direct blessing from God for righteousness. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth had to live with this tension for their love for God, their service for God. And wondering, why this suffering in my life? That is an Advent question. And so Zechariah, in this first chapter of Luke, gets to go into the temple as a priest of Israel. And there were a lot of priests, not just him. In fact, each priest would go offer incense one time in their entire lives. The offering of incense was a one time thing. And it's Zechariah's turn to go into the temple and to offer incense. And as he's going into the temple, remember, he's not just going in to pray for himself or his wife or his family. He's going in for the nation of Israel, for his people, for God's people. And while he is in this temple, an angel speaks to him and says a couple things. He says, you're going to have a baby. But more importantly, the angel says, your prayers are answered. And I want to reflect for just a moment what Zechariah's prayers would have been. Because at first glance, we would think Zechariah is praying for a baby for him and his wife, Elizabeth. But remember, that's not Zechariah's job as a priest. He's going in to pray for Israel. And we'll see in a moment when we look back at his prophetic word after this encounter with the angel, what his answered prayer really is. And so Zechariah comes out of the temple having heard this word from this angel, having not really believed the angel, and then told he's going to be mute until the baby is born. So when a priest comes out of the temple, their next job then is to offer a benediction. Not everybody has gathered. It's, it's this whole like communal thing. And so they're waiting for the priest to come out. And Zechariah comes out, and he's supposed to pronounce this benediction, and he can't speak. He has to like fumble through signs and try to explain what has happened. And then he doesn't speak for 9, 10, 11 months... ...until this baby is born. In our scripture this morning that we read... ...and we're going to read one more time... ...if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 1 and read along... ...I'd encourage you to do so. The scripture this morning that we looked at... ...is Zechariah's first utterances... ...after months of silence. And I'd like to think about it as a long night. A long darkness... That not just he has experienced, but that the nation of Israel has experienced without a prophetic word from God. And then he says this, the baby is born, and then Zechari- then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. The first prophecy we're told about for hundreds of years. As we look through this, I want you to be looking for two things. The question that the Israelites would have been asking, that my daughter asked, when is God going to speak? When is God going to act? Notice how many times in this prophecy that God is the subject of the verbs. God is the one acting. And even when a verb is connected with a human in this, it's passive. Something is being done to them. They're not the ones doing it. So look for the the actions of God and then notice just how many times that Zechariah, a priest, mentions things from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Notice how Zechariah is connecting this new thing that God is doing with the things that have been promised from the time of Abraham through King David. Notice those two things, the actions of God and the connections to the past. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old... That we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. To grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, now finally we get an action, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And now imagine Zechariah turning and looking at this baby, John, and saying, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people By the forgiveness of their sins. And now remembering this long night of darkness that has been endured. Zechariah utters these prophetic words. By the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness. This word for sit is the same word for dwell, reside, live in a place to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And we lit a candle this morning to signify the peace of God. The peace of God is the opposite of the darkness. It's the opposite of the shadow of death. Because peace in Scripture always means a wholeness, a fullness of life, the opposite of which is death. And so Zechariah says this dawn from on high that is breaking in will bring for us, for God's people, a peace. That is the fullness of life. Imagine being at the North Pole after months of darkness. Ignore the cold. Just think about the dark. And imagine being in that bunker with Adam Bloom. And imagine the very first hint of light. When just over the horizon, the dawn starts to shine. You see, the end of the Advent season brings us right up to another narrative about a birth of a baby in an impossible circumstance. This is the dawn from on high. There was a long night where the people wondered, when is God going to speak? When is God going to act? And the birth of the Christ child is that action. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. We will light candles. We will sing cheerful songs. We will celebrate the light. As we move from the Advent season, a time of reflecting on darkness, of taking inventory of the darkness, as we move from there into the Christmas season, we now reflect on the light. But please do not let the sentimentality Of Christmas that you forget what the light is. You see, babies just in and of themselves can be very cheerful. Just holding them can bring a smile to your face. But the story that we celebrate tomorrow night and on Tuesday is not just an exciting story because there's a cute little baby being born. We celebrate the light that comes with this baby because we know who this baby already is and who he will grow up to be and what he will grow up to do. See, Christmas is the dawn of the light coming, saying that Jesus is here. The light has come. And so as we close out this Advent season, I pray that we've all taken inventory of the darkness, of the darkness that we experience around us. I'm so thankful that our giving uh, this week will be going towards these ministries where we have identified dark places in our community and in our world. Because we get to be a part of this dawn from on high we get to serve Him without fear. And so tomorrow and and Tuesday, when we move into a time of celebrating Christmas, it is my prayer that we can stand before God and we can ask Him to speak and once again say into our world and into our lives... Let there be light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this past month when we've taken time to look around us and to look inward, to acknowledge that there is suffering in this world, that there is evil in this world. God, as we move into this Christmas season, we pray that we will see the light that the dawn from on high will break upon us into our world and into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike is going to come and sing uh, one of my very favorite Christmas songs. And in this song, there's a lot of imagery about light. And so I want you to, to, to pay attention to the words about the night and about the light that comes. And when he's finished, we're going to stand and sing together about what we need to do with that light. Tension. Uh, There can be difficult conversations, personality problems, bad food. Somebody drinks too much. It can go downhill quick. And uh, we just pray that all of us that are here in this sanctuary would would be uh, sources of light um, and love and a means of grace uh, to those that we are with, Lord. We pray that even in the midst of our disappointments and our failed expectations, that we would remember that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you.